Brett. How's it going this week? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance. And, Brett, I have a really awesome trivia question for you today. Thanks. I've been waiting all week for another one. Yeah, this is, you're going to be mad because this is very specific, but when it's not specific, you also yell at me. So, you can't win. That's it. Between 1926 and the year end 2018, what was the average return on the S&P 500? 7%. 10%. Oh, well, that's seven, better than you, what you always tout. So the 7% number that I float around is inflation adjusted. Because okay. inflation over the same time period was about 3%, which I always say the 7%, which I think a lot of people take to mean like that's all you get is 7%. It's actually closer to 10%. So that's kind of why we always tout like invest your money for the long haul. Because obviously if you put something in an interest-bearing account that is at 3% or less, it's basically getting either eaten up by inflation or just keeping pace with the inflation. Where if you put that money in an account that's earning 10%, you're actually coming out 7% ahead of inflation. Right, because the the $100 in my wallet today is worth less to me to go buy stuff in a store than in 10 years from now. Yeah, so what's really interesting is that $100, if you put it in a mutual fund, will be $200 in 10 years, which means it'll be $400 in 20 years. But if you put it in a regular old savings account that's not generating interest, it'll actually be worth like $50 in 20 years. Right, so you're seeing that 10%, but in reality, I'm getting you know, 7% because that $400 is worth less to me in the long run. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So today I wanted to talk about mutual funds. And I think people might say, haven't you done 100 million episodes on mutual funds? We have, but recently we've been talking to more and more people who I think can get a little, and, and you know, rightfully so, can get a little overwhelmed when trying to pick a fund or trying to understand the funds that they have. So a lot of times in a 401k, your employer already narrows the field for you. So you only have a handful of funds you can pick from, and you probably can't really make a super bad decision. I still recommend diversifying. So if your employer offers 10 funds, go ahead and get you know a total stock market fund, which will capture kind of It'll basically be like the S&P 500, where it's capturing all these different, you know, American or global countries uh, or companies and giving you like a kind of total view of the market. So So like, what are those called? Like, how do I identify those? uh, Yeah, a lot of times they're called a total market fund. Okay, (laughs) Um, It's really that easy. Easy. Um, So look through the list and just pick that one. Yeah. And so then there's, you know, small cap, mid cap, large cap. Really, those just are different company sizes that's okay. in those different funds, you know, you, you really don't have to worry about the details too much. I would say if your employer offers 10 different funds, go ahead and, you know, pick that total market index fund, go ahead and see if they offer an international fund, and then go ahead and see if they offer a bond fund. And depending on your age, you could, you know, if you're aggressive and in your in your 20s, maybe you only do 5 to 10% in bonds. Once you get into your you know, 30s, 40s, maybe you up that to 20% bonds. And then closer to retirement age, you're going to want to be about 40% bonds. Um, so, you, But you can accomplish that with a simple you know, bond market fund. Okay. And that's a dedicated fund. It's not like a percentage of my you know, mid-market fund that I pick is bonds? So you should be careful. Um, some funds, and they will say this, but some funds when they're talking about 
the um, holdings that they're made up of. Every fund, when you look at the summary, will tell you what holdings are in them. And they should have a breakout where if they do have bonds or short-term cash, they will say, you know, 95% stocks, 5% bonds, 0% short-term cash. Um, so if you see a, a fund like that, you can say, okay, I'm already checking the box and having some bonds. But if you get a total market fund, they're not going to have any bonds in them. Okay. So then you control that completely by deciding how much you want to put in a bond fund. Okay. So then I, yeah, I break out my percentage by the money that goes into each one of those funds and not yeah. worry about somebody trying to police that and have a, a whole kind of a roll up fund. Right. And now I know like American funds specifically, a couple, some of their funds will have bonds in them. So it's a good idea to check. And the other thing I wanted to mention with your 401k is more and more companies are, you know, through their provider, like Fidelity, are offering target date funds. So essentially what that means is if you start working and you say, I want to retire in, you know, 2040, then you would do the target date 2040 fund. And it's an actively managed fund, which means that instead of having to pick your fund allocation yourself, they're slowly over time moving that fund to be more in bonds and less in stocks based off of that target date. And that's and that's more for a traditional retirement path, right? Especially in the United States. Yeah. So like the people in the fire movement who are like retiring in their like 30s. We're um, all a bunch of aggressive idiots. Probably, yeah, probably are not in that track. Yeah, yeah. So Susie Orman thinks everyone in the fire movement is stupid. Um, and we're, you know, most people in the fire movement, like Mr. Money Mustache, um, Mad Scientist, I could name, you know, a handful. They are uh, definitely more aggressive with their portfolios. They are probably, you know, closer to that 90% stock allocation, 10% bonds, and they are already drawing down from that money. Mm-hmm. Um, or hypothetically would be if they weren't all making a million dollars off of writing blog posts, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) whatever works. Yeah, they have their own extra layers of protection. Um, So yeah, but today I really wanted to talk about if you are looking at a fund that you have, so let's say you go to your 401k and you don't even know what you're in, what should you be looking for? Um, And this isn't, I'm not so much giving advice as trying to give, I guess, knowledge and education on what do these terms and numbers mean. Um, So I'm just going to jump into it. I have a fund here pulled up. It's not a fund that I own, so it's one that I've never seen before uh, because I thought that that would be more helpful for me to just go to a fund that I've never seen before and see if I can figure out what it what it is. Okay, right? so you logged into your 401k portal through your company. I did not, no. Somebody, somebody, whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so in order to get to this page that you're yes. on, you log into your company's 401k portal, whoever the benefit provider is. So whether that's Fidelity or, or wh- wh- right, whoever. Charles the, Schwab, yeah, yeah. Whoever the company is that is managing your fund portfolio for your 401k through your company. Um, you log into that and then you clicked on fund allocations, I think, right? So be I, one of the big blinking buttons on the homepage? Yes. Um, so you'd click on your your fund allocations some, and then, something and then you're going to see, basically, you're going to see your money and then you're going to see typically a five character ticker symbol. Okay. And you're just going to click on that. And as soon as you click on that, you're going to get to a page. And this works pretty much across the board. You're going to get to a page that has a summary of your fund. Right? Right. The ticker symbol is the fund. Yes. So right now, I am looking at the Fidelity Total Market Index Fund. The ticker symbol for those interested is FSK. 
K-A-X. And the first thing I see is this Morningstar snapshot. Um, now, some people might say, what is that? Well, basically, Morningstar rates most funds, if not all funds, and kind of tries to neutralize the playing field by saying, we're going to give you the same information for all funds. So I can see here that the overall rating is four stars. Um, the returns are, they, it's on a scale of one through five, one being low and five being high, and it's a four. Um, the expenses are low, and the risk of this category is pretty... Uh, it is a six on a scale of one to 10, where one is low and 10 is high. Um, now people might say, what do you mean? It's a you know total market fund. The risk on that must be through the roof. How is that not 10 out of 10? Well, because the total market really isn't that risky. We're not going all in on oil. We're not going all in on technology. We're getting a little bit of everything, which is really good to diversify. And it's not a bunch of small upcoming companies. These are well-established companies that we've all heard of. And the, the risk, even though this you know, fund can definitely lose money some years, on average, the total market will do just fine. Right, because right, if like an entire field goes down, right? If the whole like IT field goes down in a particular year, it's going to hurt this fund, but it won't hurt it as bad as a fund that is like strictly an IT fund. Correct. Right, which would be a catastrophe in that yeah. case. Yeah, and you know, I'm thinking of kind of the big um, GM boot bust, right? Because yeah, I lived example. through it, mm -hmm. and yes, this fund went down those years because the whole economy was pretty depressed. But still, this is the fund that from 1926 to 2018, which for people who aren't on history, the Great Depression happened. <laughs> the you know huge blow up in the 80s happened with interest rates. We got through the 99.com bubble and the 2008 recession. So those are some pretty heavy hitting things. Plus uh, the Second World War, which wasn't peachy for the economy before that. You know, it, it boomed the economy in t the sense of we had to produce a lot of machinery. Um, but we got through all of that stuff plus countless other wars and a whole bunch of other, you know, catastrophes that happen, and we still got an average 10% return. Yeah, so, so that's pretty good. So I think pretty a lot of people stable. think risky, but no, this is this is pretty good. Um, so it'll have its ups and downs, right? But as long as you're in it for the long haul, which right. most people, right, in their working career, that's that's what they should be looking at is like, I'm going to put this money in here and I'm not going to worry about it until oh, I need to start and drawing And even it out. when you start drawing it out, keep in mind that you're going to be 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, Bonds are a lot more stable. So the longest stretch I think ever that it took the S&P to kind of correct or the total market to correct was 18 months, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, so even in retirement, you can survive 18 months on your bonds mm -hmm. and then, you know, reallocate. So, wow. okay. Uh, okay, so moving on. Right. Then so, so to me, the way you describe this, right, it's four-star rating, it's, uh, you know, high or, or close to high return it's low expenses uh right so this sounds like it's an all-star fund to me right like i'd look at these numbers and be like okay low expenses high return check the box right this yeah is great. i so you know i've never really looked at this fund before but this is the type of fund that i would in, probably invest in myself it's a total market index fund um this fits the bill of things i like in my portfolio and you know so far no red flags but i want to keep moving, if you will, Brett, and just talk about some of these other numbers. Okay. Um, so this one looks really good so far, but let's see about the performance, right? Um, so year to date, which is from January 1st till today, uh, it's at 21.5% return. So gangbusters compared to the 10% we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, but what I want people to remember is like that does no way guarantee the performance. So for the next six months, 
you, you might not get another 20%, um, right? So this is just based off what the market's been doing, the market's been going up, so it's seeing an increase. Um, but for the last year, it's been at an 8.9% return. For the last three years, on average, it's been at a 14% return. Five years, it's at 10%, and 10 years, it's at 15%. So kind of the story that I'll paint here is it, it's gonna have some really good years, it's gonna have some pretty average years, it's basically tied to the total market. It's basically going to hit around that 10% a year in average, which means at some point, even though we see all these nice green, big positive numbers, there's going to be a year where it is at negative 5% or negative 10%, mm -hmm. because that's the way that it goes to get to that 10% average. Right. right. And all the funds go through that cycle. Right. Yep. And there, I mean, there wouldn't be as many funds as there are if there were like always horrible ones that nobody chooses, right? They would just get rid of that. Right. Right. Um, but I, I do think it's actually good to look at the performance. Every fund has to release the year to date, the one year, three year, five year and 10 year numbers. And it's a good way to just see how is this fund performing compared to others. Mm -hmm. um, now, I will say that historic returns are in no way predictive of future returns. But if, especially if you're looking at actively managed funds, you can see, is this fund can, you know, consistently underperforming every other fund? Or is it, you know, is it right in line? And a lot of times they're going to be right in a similar line, right? right? So you can take a best, a best guess, right, to say, you know, yeah. this one, this one clearly looks worse. The numbers are clearly worse over time than this other one. So probably a safe bet for me to ignore that one. And I will say if there's one that you're looking and you're like, oh, but this has been getting 50% in the past, you know, year or three years, you know, it's going through the roof. That's probably they got lucky. It's a you know it might be a small cap fund where they banked on some small companies that started blowing up, right? Mm -hmm. And again, past performance is not indicative of future. If any fund has been getting fifty percent over the last 70, 80 years, um, that would be a, a miracle. And I, I haven't heard of one. Um, Warren Buffett himself, I don't think, can tout those types of returns. Maybe maybe he can, but I doubt it still. <laughs> Right, but nobody else. He's not doubling his money every single year, I don't think. Um, okay, so so then I'm going to move on. So then there's always details of the fund. So this is also pretty important, too. Um, here you're going to see the Morningstar category. So this is a large blend. Um, typically, when we're looking at a total market fund, we are looking at larger companies. Um, the fund inception was November 5th of 1997. This is something that I kind of only look at in terms of if a fund just opened last year, I'm probably not going to feel as confident about it mm -hmm. as a fund that's been around for a while and been through the paces. So this one, you know, it, they got in, they dealt with the dot-com bubble, they dealt with the recession. It, it's weathered a few storms. It, it seems like it's held on. So who's who's a good target audience for, like, some of those newer funds? Like, are they, like, super risky and, like, maybe you get lucky and people that are just, like, gambling in that market or... I wouldn't say that. A lot of times it's, um, you know, a company like Fidelity will want to start offering a new thing or maybe, uh, you know, they'll start doing more actively managed funds and they'll say, hey, you know, we have this new manager who wants to start a fund based off of this or that. 
And they're not necessarily more risky, but they might be a little bit more experimental, um, which makes them maybe a little bit more inherently risky. So it's not that you have to stay away from them, but just keep in mind that they're they're new. They don't have all the data that an older fund has. Right. So I wouldn't put 80% of my allocation in, in those types of guys. Yeah, probably not. And you don't see them all that often. It's not, you know, even in, especially in a 401k, your employer is probably not going to pick a brand new fund mm-hmm. to put in, in their company you know, selection. So um, probably not something you're going to see very often. Okay. But just something to keep an eye out for. Um, so then here we have an expense ratio. So what the expense ratio is, is how much you're going to pay annually for having this fund. So every year they're going to take off this fee. Um, oh, yeah. The expense ratio, like we talked before, where it's not a ratio at all. It is a straight up 100% fee. <laughs> yes. Fee, fee, fee. Your favorite thing. Um, so this expense ratio is 0.015%, okay. um, which is pretty pretty low, right? So it's a fraction of a percent. Yep. So a fraction of a penny on the dollar. Yeah. So in actuarial speak, we'd call that 15 basis points, um, but nobody nobody speaks like that in the real world. Um, okay, so a lot of these other numbers that I'm seeing here don't don't matter too much. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of gloss over them because we have other more important fish to fry, I think. Um, so then when I kind of scroll over, I see the top 10 holdings, which is about. of the portfolio. It includes Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Berkshire Hathaway. um, That's Warren Buffett, for those of you who don't know. Johnson & Johnson, J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, Google, ExxonMobil, and some more Google. Um, Because Google has two companies, kind of, Alphabet Class C and Alphabet Class A. Um, It's just kind of two different. So the classes are two different stocks that you can pick if you want to own Google. You could be a Class A shareholder, which kind of has more rights, you get more voting power, and then Clash C is kind of, you can think of it as like a little bit less important. Okay. Um, but it includes so, both of them. So, I mean, heavy in the tech industry for this one. And this is the full portfolio? or is just This like is the, the top 10 holdings. Top 10. Um, so okay. we can always click more on the side. And what's really nice about clicking more is we can see that this is, um, you know, Brett thought they were a little heavy in tech. They're about 20% weighted in tech. weighted in healthcare, about 14% in financials, uh, 10% in consumer discretionary, 10% in industrial. And then about 10 other categories. And yeah, yeah, communication service. 10% to 0.25%. Yeah, but a little bit of real estate too. Um, So this is actually pretty representative just because our IT has boomed again and IT covers so many areas, of course, that's just a little bit higher. Right. And they're looking at current trends in the industry and right, they, like Microsoft's doing fantastic right now and the outlook for them is really high. Apple, people won't stop paying for Apple products yeah. and we don't know why. So they're going to keep going up. Uh, you know, Facebook. Amazon owns uh, everything, everything now. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, with their all their drone stuff and trucking fleets and warehousing and, you know, all that stuff, they're not going anywhere. Um, Facebook, uh, that one's the, probably the most risky in here for me. They're doing a lot of stuff on the business side, but you know, I'm talking to more and more people that are just deleting their Facebook account. So, yeah. Um, but then there's you know Johnson and Johnson, which is a well-established, a well-established company. Dynasty. Uh, <laughs> Google's been around forever. They have their handle on a pats, and then we have Exxon Mobil, which is you know more. Uh, infallible no matter how much gas they dump right. into the ocean it doesn't matter yeah <laughs> so exactly yeah. um 
So anyways, you can kind of just see what's in it. Some people also look at this for, you know, maybe personal or ethical reasons. So I do know of some people who will not buy funds if they support certain industries So this is a good or certain companies. companies. And so this is a good way to check that. If that's a concern to you, you can see every single company that's in it. And the other thing that I think strongly about here is I know some people who say, well, I want to buy a mutual fund, but then I really want to be invested in, you know, Google or Amazon or whatever. And I'm like, well, why don't you check to see you probably already own some of those shares. Mm -hmm. So do you, how many more do you want to own? Because if you're in a total market fund, you're going to have some Apple. I mean, there's no way you're getting into the market without it. Right. Right. Um, And so with 401ks, can you even invest in any stocks in this model if you wanted to go direct Not in a 401k, but since we're talking about uh, just funds here, you don't have to be in a 401k to buy this fund. Sure, okay. You can buy this fund with post-tax dollars if you really want it. So any mutual fund I could just go out to, in this case it's Fidelity, I could just go out to Fidelity, set up an account if I don't already have one, and and then just buy this on my own, right? Uh, Yep, exactly. Um, Okay, so then... On the same page, there's similar fund picks, so you can kind of click around and see what are some other funds that are similar to this. Uh, You can see who the fund manager is. That information probably isn't super duper important, but you can research them more if you want to. And then you can see what the quarter end average returns have been before tax, after tax, and after, you know, taxes on distribution and shares of funds. So this basically just means, you know, after we pay taxes, what do my returns look like? So you can look into all these numbers as well. Um, So I have one other big question. I don't know if you're ready to get to it yet or not, but it's about dividends. Because I know there's a lot of funds that I'm not there yet. Oh my gosh. There's a lot. So that was was just the summary tab. So (laughs) buckle in. We got like five more tabs to go. Look look at me knowing things in advance. Uh, I'm proud of you. Um, So the next tab is just the performance and risk tab. Now we already got a screenshot of this on the first page and it's basically going to just going to tell us a lot of information we already know um, such as what's the one year three year five year ten year return but it'll also bump it up against you know the dow jones u.s stock market so we can see how it compared against that which this fund looks like instead of the s p it is tracking the dow jones pretty closely yeah these numbers are almost identical percent for percent year over year so they're basically picking the same companies that are in the dow jones which makes sense why it's a little more tech heavy yep because those are all the top performers. If I had to pick the top three or four companies, that would be what I picked. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Dow Jones has always been a little tech heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll also compare it against like just a, the kind of large blend um, options that you could get of just getting like a large blend mutual fund. And it's been performing a little bit better than that. Now I will say... Um, so a large blend is just a, a grouping of like all the larger ba- biggest companies. companies. Yep. Yeah. And so I will say, um, kind of my one point to make here is even Warren Buffett says that the best way to invest is in simple passive index market mutual funds. Um, So he doesn't even recommend actively managed, you know, crazy portfolios. And he, that's what he does for a living. Um, (laughs) Now that's not to mean anybody shouldn't do it. So I think, especially for people who really know nothing or really don't want to get their hands dirty learning anything, getting an actively managed fund, having a financial planner is a good idea because it's going to give you that face-to-face education that you might need. Um, But this is just kind of 
reassuring for those of us who maybe want to do more uh, with DIY, or maybe we just want to feel comfortable that we can pick our 401k funds on our own. If you get into a total market type index fund, you're going to do okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking at kind of lifetime numbers here. So Yeah, so again, this one was tracking closely to the Dow. Uh, there's a lot of other funds that track closely to the S&P directly. Right. right? And those are, those are typically the funds that we like to invest in. Yeah. Um, okay, so then scrolling down here, we can see calendar reser- returns for the last 10 years. And we can see here that in 2018, the Fidelity Total Market Index Fund dropped 5%. So there we go. And that's because the Dow Jones dropped 5.3%. Right. Um, (laughs) But, and we can also see here, you know, that there were some years that it was lower, some years that it was higher. So if you have a 30% return in one year, and then you have a 1% return in the next year, or a 5% return decrease, um, that's just life. And on average, you're going to get to that 10%. Right, because in 2017, it was a 21%, you know, going gangbusters. That was the highest it's been since 2013. And then, yeah, dropped to negative 5.3. And then in 2019, was back up to 19%, right? So just as long as you just, like, let it ride the whole time, like, you were still doing just fine. I mean, yep. if you tried to game it and you, like, got out before it dropped in 2017 and then you got back in when it was low, like, whatever. But nobody knew that was coming anyway. Right. And then maybe we should talk about my friend Bob again. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we should. <laughs> Who invested before every single market crash in the 70s, 80s, 99, and the Great Recession. But he just, he every single time he dumped money into the market was right before a market crash. And he still retired with over a million dollars because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like I said, 18 months later, your money's going to be back where it was, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So... Um, just something good to keep in mind, especially if you're in a total market fund like this. You know, I think if you're in a single stock, obviously that company might go belly up. But if the entire total market of the United States went belly up, then we all have bigger problems anyways. Right. <laughs> I mean, um, okay, so the rest on this page I've already basically covered. Um, I'm not going to go into volatility measures because we just don't really have a lot of time and you don't really need to worry about these numbers. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the ratings tab here. Um, This is a very simple tab. It's just more kind of Morningstar ratings. So we can see that overall for the three-year, five-year, and 10-year, Morningstar has put this fund at four stars. Um, And then we can see this Lipper rating. Honestly, I don't even know what the Lipper ranking is, but it is number 340 out of 3,000 funds in the last year. And it is number 98 out of 1,760 funds in the last five years. So pretty good that I picked a pretty well-performed, like a top 10% fund just by chance. Yeah, but I want number (laughs) one, right? (laughs) Do you? How expensive is number one? Oh, that's true. It could could have a lot of fees, right? Yeah. Because this is just based on performance only. Um, So the next tab here is composition. We already kind of talked about this, what this fund is made fun of. Um, We can- Made up of. Or sorry, made up of. Um, We can see that this this fund is 100% in the United States. So it has zero international. Okay, so then that adds its own kind of like risk factor to some degree, right? Yeah. Um, Because it's based on like US economy trends to to some degree. Because a lot of the companies that are 
in this fund are he- are based in the United States, but heavily international. Right. right? So Everything is kind of a little global these days. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention on this fund is where you'll find the asset allocation that I was talking about earlier, which will tell you the percent of in equities, which we can also think equities and stocks can kind of be used interchangeably when thinking about your fund allocation between stocks and bonds. And then we can see that this is 0% in bonds and 0% in cash. So this is what I would consider a basically 100% stock fund. Okay. Even though there was some real estate in there, right? That still counts as real estate stocks, not real estate in like REI investment funds. Well, it can be counted as REI investment fund if you want, but that's still an equity that is not a bond. Um, So it's not a real estate bond and it is not, you know, so some developers might issue bonds to fund their projects. It does not contain any of those. Okay. Um, Okay. So now moving on to the fees and distribution. Oh my gosh, my my dividends. (laughs) As I mentioned, the expense ratio is 0.015%, which is pretty low. Basically, um, that means every year they will charge you 15 cents per thousand dollars you have in the account. Okay. Which is pretty good. That that Um, fee, expense ratio fee, fee, fee. Fee, yeah. Um, So then... Oh, and I will say this one has a service fee or 12B1 fee of 0%. Mm -hmm. Um, That's basically just another service charge. Some funds have both. They'll have an expense ratio or fee and a 12B1 fee. And then some funds also have a front-end or back-end fee um, or load, they might call it. And that means you'll pay either more when you go ahead and put money in originally. So if you put in $1,000 and it has a 5% fee up front, then you'll only get $950 in that account. Mm-hmm, and then, worth of stocks or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and then some of them have it on the back end. So if you want to take out $1,000 and it has a 5% fee, then you'll only get $950. Right. Um, so so which one in those cases is preferable for the longer term? Probably putting if, the more money in up front. Right? Yeah. So if you're going to get into a fund that has a front end or back end load, I would personally choose a front end load because it's over and done with before you start accruing interest. So once you start accruing interest, all of that money is yours. Right, the good interest, right? Yeah. Right, the good <laughs> one. Um, but on the back end fees, it's like, okay, so I put this money in for free and then it's accrued, but now that it's like doubled in value, now they want 5% because of course they do. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So just keep those in mind as well. And then, so Brett's topic that he really wanted to get to is dividends. So this fund pays dividends it looks like twice a year um they pay them in december and they pay them in april which is an interesting schedule a lot of funds will pay them quarterly or semi-annually and this fund paid it looks like december is their big kind of dividend they paid about a dollar per share and it was reinvested at 73 dollars um so one divided by 73 would give you what that percentage was 173rd Sweet. 173rd. <laughs> uh, yes. So, um, and then it was a lot smaller kind of in the off season. And that's about a one, one point, one and a half percent dividend, we'll say. Okay. So whatever money I had in there at that time during that period, or do they just look at it at a point in time at dividend payout? So I could invest a bunch of money right before the dividend pops because we talked about doing that yes. before, right? We talked about, about like, that. When's the worst time to put money into a fund? Yeah. So, uh, um, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you don't want to buy the dividend. Um, now, we say don't do market timing. If you have everything, especially with a 401k, you don't control it. It comes out of your paycheck. It goes in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're putting this money into a, a post-tax account, then you're going to 
um, you know, a lot of people still set it and forget it and then don't worry too much about it. But it, let's say you sold your house and you have, you know, $10,000 to put in a mutual fund. I wouldn't recommend doing it the day before a dividend post because once the dividend posts, it gets subtracted from that share price. So if we say the share price was $73.28 and the dividend was $1.20, then the next day, now there's gonna be some market increase. We'll say maybe it goes up to $74, right? But $1.20 is coming off of it, which drops it back down to $72.80. Right. So it's still cheaper to wait until the day after a dividend and then buy it. Right, So because you, that's the one day that you're guaranteed to lose money the next day. Right, right? because <laughs> you get this payout. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's really all the dividend is, is dividend is a payout to you. You can choose to either keep this or what I personally recommend is to reinvest it um, because we can see the reinvestment price here. And what that means is you're actually getting more shares. So I guess maybe this is a good time to talk about the price history by month because some people look at this number and get confused. So every month or every day, if you want, you can go to finance.google.com and you can see what the S&P, the Dow Jones, and the NASDAQ are doing for that day. And you can see, oh, it's up 1% today. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to go up 1% every day. That just means today it's up 1%, right? And tomorrow right. it might go down. Um, so the, the funds actually look at this like 30-year, or not 30-year, 30 30-day 30 return. And a lot of people get confused. Um, what this 30-day return basically means is for the last month, what did this fund do? Because it's a good way to compare the 30-day history to you know an index fund out there or different funds out there and say, how did they compare over the last 30 days? Um, now, that doesn't mean that you get that 1% return every single 30-day period, right? Mm -hmm. And that can be kind of confusing. So I wanted to bring that up. Right. Because I, I mean, that's to me, that's a misleading metric that shouldn't even be out here for a regular person to be looking at because that's, you know, it has to do with a lot of point in time analysis. And you shouldn't be making judgments based off of point in time analysis for most of the fund selection that you're going to do in this process. I want to go out here, I want to spend like 10 minutes looking around and doing this analysis and that is like very deep in the weeds to me yeah but i'm gonna see that number like out front that says like oh man this thing had a 50 percent 30-day return right like this is amazing and right that may confuse me for like what i'm actually getting out of it absolutely right? so that that 30-day return number i should just ignore that completely yeah it's so just made up i far more recommend looking at that performance tab look at the one three five and ten year returns look at the lifetime return of the fund and then if you want to look at dividends you know since that's tangible money you can come out and look at the distribution tab for that okay. um so the last thing i kind of wanted to mention is the difference though between or i guess two more things so with the dividend, then we see the capital gains history. What the capital gains is, is when there are, when companies report gains, they will sometimes pass these along to the shareholders in the form of capital gain. It works basically very similar to a dividend, except the tax rules around capital gains can be slightly different. Um, it doesn't really mean much for you. It just means that you'll see a little bit extra kind of coming your way. Okay. Um, and again, similar to the dividend, I recommend that you just go ahead and reinvest this money. And the reason why I recommend that is a lot of people will say, you know, I paid a dollar for my mutual fund and now it's at $2. So my money has doubled. My value has doubled. Well, you still only own one share of that stock or mutual the, fund. The share is now just worth $2 instead of $1. Correct. Right? Um, but to me, I mean, that, that share could go back to a dollar, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the, the real value add comes with these dividend payouts, right? Because then instead of owning one share, let's say you get, you know, 
we'll throw out kind of a crazy number just for illustration purposes, but a 10% dividend, right? Now, caveat, that probably won't really happen. Um, <laughs> but then instead of owning $1 worth, you own $1.10, right? And then the next year, you own $1.20, and then $1.30. And then eventually, you actually own two shares of that stock. Right. So even if that share price doesn't go up, you're just like actually building your wealth, building how much you own, so I guess. So this is the equivalent of compound interest for because you're actually turning the money into like more more money, tangible assets, right? I'm, more shares, more share, More shares in this scenario. Yeah. So the dollar in my bank account that turns into $2, I have $2. I can take $1 out and I can put it in somewhere else. Here, I can like, I can do different things with these shares. And, like, yeah, and both of those shares can increase in the same way. I don't want to detract from, you know, we do see a 10% on average annual return that doesn't go away, right? Mm-hmm. So over time, your money doubles every every 10 years if you invest it. And that is tangible money. But what I like here is knowing, like, I'm getting It's, it's more tangible shares. money when I take it out. Correct, right? when it's, you take it out. That money's, that money's monopoly money until I take it out. Yeah. Right? And so, yeah, having more shares, they can't take the, like, the market can't drop and I can't lose the amount, the tangible amount, number of shares that I have. Right. Right? I'm always going to have, if I got up to, like, 15 shares by just leaving my money in there for 20, 30 years, and I started with one, I still have 15. No matter how much those 15 are worth, right. I, I still have them. But I think, especially when there's market downturns, it can be really beneficial, especially if this is retirement money, long-term money, you're not touching this for 30 years. Instead of tracking the day-to-day fluctuations, which might stress you out, might cause you to do something irrational, like pull your money out, right? Mm-hmm. And then put it back in when it's the market's gone up again. Um, then it might, if you just look at the shares that you own, it'll build that like, oh yeah, like I'm still growing, right? Because that number will never decrease. Right. It'll only increase. Mm-hmm. Unless in some weird instances where they merge shares, merge, but yeah. then that means that you, you know, it's still worth more. Right. So. Yeah. So, okay. So we have all of our extra money in here. Is there a time when I should reevaluate this? Like, so I picked my fund and then I'm going to let it ride, right? Do I let it ride for 40 years or do I, you know, when, when should I look at this again to decide, like, am I getting the biggest return that I can be getting? Yeah. So I actually kind of recommend doing an annual look at your um, 401k. So a lot of times, let's say, you know, I start started working a year ago and I picked a stock fund and a bond fund and I wanted to be 5% bonds and I wanted to be 95% stocks. Well, a year later, when that stock, you know, especially we've seen some of these years, maybe it went up 20%. So now I'm no longer that 95, 5% that I was planning. I'm now 98, 2%. So that's a good time to transfer some money out of my stock and put it in that bond. And then over time, as I age, you know, when I started working and I was 22, maybe that 95, 5 felt good for me. Now that I'm rapidly approaching my 30s, maybe I want to be more 90, 10, right? And as I, you know, it's kind of a glide path and it's different for everybody because it's based off of your risk tolerance. I actually have a very high risk tolerance because I understand the numbers. I understand the averages. Some people, they're just not comfortable having that much of their money at risk. And then I recommend smoothing, maybe do an 80-20. So 80% of your money 